This is the Future of Security Operations podcast brought to you by Tynes. This show is dedicated to empowering SecOps leaders to reimagine how their teams work so they can scale their security efforts and build a team that achieves more with less. In each episode, we'll learn from a security leader who has found a way to free their team from tedious manual tasks and remove the barriers that are preventing them from doing high-value strategic work that truly matters. We'll learn from their mistakes, distill their best practices, and leave you with actionable insights that you can immediately put to work with your team. I'm your host, Thomas Kinsler, COO and co-founder of Tynes. Now, let's jump right into today's show. Hi, everyone, and thanks for listening to another episode of the Future of Security Operations podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Lima Charlie's founder, Maxime Lamont-Brassard. Thanks for chatting with me today, Maxime. Hey, super happy to be here. Brilliant. For those who don't already know, can you tell me a little bit about Lima Charlie and what you do? Yeah, so I like kind of to to use a couple of different analogy for Lima Charlie, but you know, the big one is sort of that Lima Charlie is like an AWS for cybersecurity, meaning you know everything that we do is sort of done through the lens of like how you interact with AWS, right? So like self-serve, multi-tenant, scale up, scale down, build per usage, like all that really, really cool stuff that just makes it easier to use. And then the products themselves, kind of like AWS again, is cybersecurity products, but as primitives. So like our, really our big focus is we make tools for cybersecurity professionals. And so that means we're not kind of giving like a widget with two or three ways to interact with it, but rather we're giving like the primitive that allows you to really, you know, do whatever you'd like with it. That's a pretty revolutionary way of thinking about things. There's a lot of our listeners who are super familiar with AWS. Can you talk to me, for those that are and aren't, they'll know that there's a huge amount uh, to AWS and there's a huge amount to Lima Charity as well. Can you talk to me about some of the things that you do? I know you do EDR, but it's, it's a lot more than that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We don't really focus on sort of the traditional product labels because what we found is, you know, like you said, what we're doing is just so different that we end up covering a lot more. So EDR is sort of the, the first big primitive that we came up with. And again, you know, even that you have to relax your way of thinking around EDR. It's really, you know, you have an agent that runs on pretty much anything out there. The agent is an API for you. You can do whatever you'd like. It's in real time with the cloud. And then, you know, there's like a retention built in and all, all that cool stuff. So a lot of people do use it as a, a more of a classic EDR. But at the end of the day, you're really able to kind of do whatever you'd like with it. So some people do, you know, deploy patches. Some people do a lot of like UEBA type stuff. So that's kind of one of the primitives. And then we've added a whole bunch of other primitives. The recent one is the ability for us to ingest external telemetry. So that can be like syslog or like Office 365 audit logs or 1Password audit logs, or even things like Carbon Black, for example. So, you know, we have an EDR, but we are not an EDR. And like, that's kind of the proof in the pudding is, you know, you can plug in Carbon Black into Lima Charlie, you know, just like you could do with AWS and bring data from somewhere else. And it just, you know, you get a ton of value from that. So it's really cool. Nice. One of the things I love, and I'll, I think we'll probably talk about it later, that you're, you know, an API for an API for endpoints, an API for your security logs. Uh, you know, Tynes is an API first company, so and we believe right. that the future of security operations is like interacting through a no code operating system, but is interacting with a whole lot of APIs. 
one of the things I really love about Nima Charlie though is that you make it kind of agnostic as to whether or not you've got like a Mac or Windows or even like a Chrome OS. You, you make it so that you're able to run your detections across like everything in a standardized way. It makes it a lot easier for yeah companies to get on board, I presume. That's right. That's right. And I feel like that's a lot like times in a way that kind of, you know, we both had the luxury to start at a point in sort of the maturity of cybersecurity where people understand fundamentally a lot more new technologies. And we're kind of able to say, hey, you know, if we are to start a new company today that, you know, sees endpoints the way that modern cybersecurity you know, people see endpoints or API interaction, right? See API interaction in a modern way. How would we do this today so that it's, you know, we cut all of kind of the, the complexity that, that historically was there or sort of the old way of looking at things. And we just, you know, focus on driving to the features like easily. I know like my background, I spent a long time working in, in InfoSec before starting time. So mostly on the, on the industry side, you spent a long time I was doing this, but in various different EDR vendors in Google. Can you tell us a little bit about your background that kind of caused you to have the inspiration for for Lee Maturity? Sure, sure. Yeah, you know, same here. Cybersecurity has been my career. I've never worked outside of security, which is kind of funny to say out loud. But I started in the government. So I started on Canadian. So I started in the equivalent of the NSA up here in Canada, which was a fascinating experience, but also very different than the rest of the world, right? It's a very different environment. And so when worked for CrowdStrike for a while, back, you know, really early CrowdStrike, and then Google. So I, in Google, I was in Google internal security. And, you know, every step of the way, there's kind of fascinating things about where you are. But for me, you know, the big fascinating thing about Google was just that how awesome they were at doing the base hygiene. It's not that you're doing threat hunting and they're the best at threat hunting and responding like the quickest. It's just what are the big fundamental pieces of technology they can do to remove a lot of the threats. So that was really cool. And then I was part of the funding team at Chronicle Security, which was another really kind of unique environment. And that's sort of when, as Chronicle Security kind of spun out, that I decided that it was really the right time to start something else. Yeah, the Chronicle Security journey has been incredible. I'd love to chat to you about that maybe maybe another time. But talk to me a little bit about some of those lessons from Google. So you said like, you know, they're really, really good at like at endpoint hygiene. Do you think that's where that like beyond corp kind of idea came out of? Or yeah, yeah, totally. Totally. Those are the types of fundamental ideas that fundamental ideas, but not just ideas, right? Like there's an inordinate amount of effort put behind that. It's like the UB keys, right? Yeah. Like the UB keys, for those that don't know, you know, it's like physical key that you plug in like USB port kind of thing. And it does a 2FA challenge, like against the web endpoint that you're connecting to. Those just eliminate entire like classes of like phishing. And so those technologies are what allow you to get out of the firefighting day to day. They're difficult to implement in their own. But it really is my my belief that in the long term, those are the things that you know we have to make a baseline across the world, sort of in computing environment, and that's how we keep raising the floor, right, of sophistication mm-hmm. of attacks, and how we get out of the you know the alert spam and and all that stuff. Yeah, the alert overload that so many analysts and and engineers uh, have to deal with today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So when you were thinking about, I suppose, like finding Lima Charity, obviously you had a huge experience of the security operations world. How would you like describe the state of security operations today? I know you're in this a couple of years, but what's your kind of your perception of, of how we're doing right now? So the state of cybersecurity, in my mind, there's a ton of great products that exist out there, right? There is no lack of sort of like innovation around ways of doing things that do a good job with security. The thing that we have to move away from where we are today is as an industry, we're still very, very, what I call promise-based, right? Meaning a lot of the products that you buy, you buy from a vendor and it's not so much the, you know, like the capability that they're selling you. It's the promise that they will keep you safe. Like they'll stop attacks, right? We stop breaches. <laughs> That's right. How you do it, right? It ends up sometimes being very marketing, right? It's very, oh, we're web scale machine learning with blockchain. And like, that's how we stop attacks. (laughs) And again, it's not because the products are not good at all, right? They're great products, but we need as an industry to kind of move out of this idea that like, hey, there's the vendors, they have like some kind of proprietary secret sauce. And that's the thing that can make you safe. And we need to move back with the understanding that the knowledge of what keeps you safe is in the security professionals and how they implement security posture in a company, right? And that will vary, but we have to be able to get to a point where we're able to show the CISO, you know, here's how we're protecting against, you know, attack X, Y, Z. Here's how we're doing it, how we're going to respond. We have to be able to demonstrate that we've grown and it's a repeatable process and kind of, you know, that, that level of professionalism, because right now there's a bad connotation for a lot of people that when they think about security and they kind of think in terms of, you know, moving from a product fad to a different one and kind of these like arcane, you know, nobody understands, you know, how security does it. And that's just not going to fly in the long term. And I suppose this is one of the, there's actually a lot of things things that you mentioned there. I really want to touch on the marketing piece because that's something that I think we've got a, a joint philosophy on. But kind of just in relation to the, I suppose, being able to prove that, you know, you can do this or that this is your your code, you're kind of moving to like even past detection as code. But one of the things that Lima Charity does a really good job of is, I suppose, making it really interesting or really easy to like ingest rule sets from SOC Prime or Sigma for log files or Yara for files, right? That you, you are moving into a, as well as being able to just deploy rules and say, hey, this is exactly how you should be defending against this attack. And even beyond that, like, why know that like this is the best practice for this and I can just implement it. I don't even need to, I don't necessarily need to say my product, like, can your product do this? Can you prevent me? It's like, this is exactly what we have the capability of doing and you're able to deploy it immediately. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I think that's kind of the touch point between a couple of different philosophies, right? So one of them being, we're not the best at doing everything. And that's why we focus on building, you know, security infrastructure. We're not an MSSP. We're not an MDR. We're not a threat intel shop. We we focus where we know we do the best job. And we know that the people that we work with, they're doing the best at kind of using Lima Charlie and kind of showing that that real value. And then that second kind of philosophy coming in, I like to map things sometimes to DevOps, because I think in many ways, tech is sort of a little bit ahead of where cybersecurity is today. And the whole concept of Snowflake server, right? So it's this concept that like, hey, there's a server somewhere and you know, 
somebody went and clicked things to install things on there and we don't really know what's going on. And I think around, you know, security infrastructure and deploying rules in the way that like DevOps kind of fought that with things like Terraform and, you know, being able to kind of reason about, hey, you know, what is it that we've got deployed out there? How is it going to behave and test it and all that stuff? Very nice. I suppose like security feels like it's a little bit far off. Do you think there's other companies that are kind of cutting edge that are doing similar to similar to that? As in, I, I don't think security is quite that mature yet. From your customers, do you see many customers doing that? And how are you persuading customers to move in that direction, I suppose? It's a process, right? It's never obvious until it is. So I think it's a long-term process. We do see customers doing that, especially people sort of in some MSSPs where they have to do things at scale. Yeah. So I think some of the, the forcing factors are just stronger for those folks. They have to respond you know, faster, not to security incident, but rather to the scaling, to the maturity question. So we do see people doing that and we see vendors doing that. And I mean, for me, in my mind, that's exactly sort of what, what Tynes does, right? So there's a couple in that space and there's more coming up and then there's the MITRE attack framework. And so we're getting there. We're getting there. Yeah, it's really, and I, like, I know you mentioned like repeatable process, but that is what, like, what Tynes is all about being able to say, Hey, in the event of this particular attack coming in, here's the process that we'll take to automate it. And we can just give you a playbook and you can validate that it's run. And there's all this error handling that's built in. It really, uh, it makes life a lot easier for, yeah, for those security analysts and engineers, but even for your compliance and for your CISO asking, hey, what happens in this particular circumstance? Like, I can tell you exactly what's going to happen. And after 45 minutes, this is the step that's going to be taken. It's really nice to have that, I suppose, have that's that ability. Right. And it's what, I think that is what is going to make people move. It's not the idea itself where we have to yeah. be. It's let's make this easy, right? That's the real delta by making it easier to get in that position. Yeah, makes a ton of sense. I want to go back because I, I know it's something that you really care about. But that whole marketing piece, like, so your philosophy is, I think that you should be like no snake oil, no bud, just like, here's our capabilities. What is it do you think that, I suppose, and this is something that Ross, your, your director of product is also extremely passionate about. What is it that like made you do that that's different than all of those other security vendors? And why should the security operations, like directors and analysts and engineers, like who are listening to this, why should they be like, actually, that's the right way to go? That's a good question. I, I think a big part of that is sort of the fact that, you know, Lima Charlie a long time ago started as an open source EDR. Very, very different scope of, you know, what we do today. But having been in the open source, right, you kind of get used to this idea of here's what this thing does and how it can do it and have that very publicly available. So certainly that's a big aspect of it. The other is... Having seen, you know, I use AWS, but really it's like cloud providers, right? Having seen what cloud providers have done in tech and what they've enabled in using that fundamental change of perspective that they brought in also made us want to kind of model how we offer things like on an AWS or cloud provider where we really open things up. I think the value there for people from our perspective, it's one is trust, right? It's trust that we do the things that we do, that we claim that we do. And that's kind of the promise, right? I'm a developer, so I think about like APIs as like promises, right? And it's a promise. The second one is that it's extremely transparent as we add new features. We are able to get that value in the hands of people very, very quickly because they're just able to, you know, turn on that API and start using it kind of thing. But also the flip side of that is true, which is we can tell when people like something, 
because, you know, we do months to months billing, right? And at first, you know, it was very counterintuitive for a lot of folks, but we learned to love that because we just know when things are working or when things are not working. And I think if you're trying to build something, a fundamental change in security in the long term, that's what you have to bet on, not the flash in a pan. It's a really nice philosophy to have because you're very aligned with the customer where you're like, look, it's the more you use this product, the more value you're getting out of it, like the more we're both benefiting and therefore, you know, we'll charge you a little bit more, but you know exactly how much you're, you know, you're very transparent in your pricing as well, but you know exactly how much you're going to be charged and therefore they're able to make that decision. Like this is a hundred percent worth it. But also, mm-hmm. yeah, like your features as you develop them, you're able to, uh, to charge more. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a really nice, uh, really nice way of operating. Yeah. There's not too many companies that have the confidence in their product to be able to go about that. It's, uh, it's really nice to have. Yeah. And again, there's going to be more and more. So it's not like we're so special in that way. I think it's just, we're putting the change we want to see forward. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, there's a lot of uh, insecurity. There's a lot of, yeah, food, but it almost feels like we should be uh, yeah, creating like a wall of fame for that. Said, okay, here's the, uh, here's the amazing, uh, here's the amazing people that are, that are doing that. But yeah, you're right. It is like obviously pioneered or well, pioneered by a lot of companies, but the likes of AWS or GCP and et cetera, who are, you know, very good at uh, saying, this is exactly what you're going to be charged for this particular function. So I suppose you've got a lot of security teams, a lot of MSPs that are using the product. What are some of the, the things that if you're starting out, so a lot of people are, you know, like getting started with, and you've got a, a great free community edition, but it, people that are starting out, what are some of the things that you think they should be getting right at the start or focusing on at the very start of their, of their journey? That is an interesting question. I mean, it depends a little bit if what scope we're talking about, right? Yeah. Like if it's the individual contributor kind of, you know, starting to play with Lima Charlie, it's one kind of different set of things. And if we're saying like, hey, as an MSSP, you know, like getting started, what what you should focus on. I think, you know, at the individual level, right, I do believe that organizations should really invest into their people first and foremost, because that's what's really going to save you when, when bad things happen. And I think for me, it's the fundamentals. So really having a good understanding of what it is that you're looking at, you know, understanding what's going on, like in the computer or in the APIs and the types of attacks. I think it's tempting to overfocus on sort of how do I use tool X, right? That kind of simplifies a lot of things, but it's really important to understand what goes on behind that. At an organization level, I think the critical thing is to make a plan first, right? It's so take a deep breath, like make a plan bottom up. How do we feel around, you know, various risks and how are we going to protect against those risks? Again, it's better now, but there was a time where like APTs were all the rage, right? So everybody tried to protect against APTs. Thankfully, we've moved past that. So yeah, just a very kind of programmatic app approach of like, what's the, the small stuff, but you know, small stuff can be important. Where's the high risk and how are you going to protect it? Make that plan. And just focusing on, on getting better every day at it. Yeah, it's very tempting to yeah to buy that big shiny box and deploy it and like see the blinking lights and be like, yeah, we're done. Everybody's uh, everybody's happy. We're protected. But yeah. a, unfortunately, that doesn't happen. And b, like, yeah, you need to. <laughs> you, what your risk posture is is very different than another company's risk posture, and you should be focusing towards what your yeah. I suppose yeah, like you have to understand your risk profile and your your risk tolerance as well. Yeah, investing in people is something that I think it's come up a lot in these conversations, and it's come up in. Yeah, obviously, like with security automation comes up a ton. You know, if you're able to automate, you're able to I suppose, free up some time to enable your analysts and your engineers and your team to focus on deploying new detections or I suppose, more impactful risk reduction efforts is the way we usually describe it. 
Can you talk to me about some teams or some companies that are doing that well? Maybe not even naming them, but like what are, what are some of the processes they have to enable their teams to be able to focus on that important stuff? I think a good example would be, and that won't come to, to surprise to folks that kind of follow us, but you know, we work with an MSSP that's called Soteria and they really do a great job. They've actually put out a, a white paper online about that. And it, it very much connects back to what we were talking a few minutes ago around sort of the predictability of the rules that you put forward, right? Of the process around that. And so I don't claim to kind of know the intricacies of, of how they have their pipeline, but from discussions around them from that white paper, we can really see that they do understand that concept that the more you can take rules and bring them into this kind of recurring process around you know, testing what it is, making sure that it's accurate. And the more you can kind of iteratively bring in some new rules into that process, right? It's like, uh, for me, it's a little bit like drying uh, concrete or something, right? Like you put fresh concrete in and like it, it moves a bit and then, you know, you cure it or whatever it's called. I'm not a construction. <laughs> um, but this idea that like, yeah, now that it's there, it's not going to move anymore and you can rely on it. And so, you know, we can see that they kind of keep pouring in new rules, right? Over time and bringing it into that process. And that is how I'm assuming, you know, again, that's how they're able to do a ton of really, really cool and interesting things because they're not sort of just dealing with, you know, we get like a thousand alerts a day and then, you know, we have to go and click through those thousand alerts. That's not going to scale. You're not going to incrementally get better by doing that. Yeah. So it really is that like no detection is going to keep you secure. It's just 1% better every single day. And if you're able to do that, then by the end of the year, you'll be a whole lot better. Again, like this is, it's something that we, like it's a big philosophy of times that there is a tendency to, I think for a lot of people to build a great and they will come or to believe that the correct way is build a great and they will come even with their, you know, their automations. But like, this is the way I want it. And you're like, well, maybe if you just like, you know, build these 20 steps, then you're, you're actually, you'll get 95% of the way there. And then you'll realize there's one edge case and then automate that. And you're a little bit further and you'll never get, at least you shouldn't get hundred percent of the way there, because if you get hundred percent of the way there, you're definitely missing something you need. At some point you'll need an analyst to take a look. But it's really nice. And I love, yeah, again, just how easy it is to deploy new detections in Lima Charlie. It makes it so much, yeah, so much more sustainable than it is like security infrastructure as a service. That's right. And it's, I'm putting myself in my shoes like 10 years ago and hearing us talk, right? And I think it's easy to kind of, not cynically, but to kind of look at this and think like, well, this is making security boring, right? You know, for me, security is kind of a thrill. There's a thrill associated yeah. with threat hunting, all that stuff. And I think the key is not that hey, it's making that process boring, but rather the exact opposite, right? We're saying, take the boring stuff and make it automated so that you have the time to do to focus on the cool stuff. Like massively, we just we just released like a, a voice of the SOC report where we like basically surveyed 500 analysts and we asked them, hey, tell us about the parts of the job that you enjoy. Tell us about parts of the job that like are not fun and unsurprisingly, like, you know, writing tickets and things like that uh, and deploying stuff. They're like, oh, that's, you know, that's not what I want to I be doing. However, it is like, I suppose, yeah, built, sometimes building those new detections, but also like taking that new detection, like actually would we have detected that if that had, like if this had gotten through or like who's behind this or like what's the next step of this attack? I'm, yeah, in yeah, one of my previous roles, we used to get hit all the time with your uh, 
your large mass farm campaign, same as everybody else. But we had a lot of fun just like every single day, the first person to catch the daily like emo Ted email being like, yep, this is today's lure. Uh, we may as well just start blocking this like UPS or XYZ as a subject. Yeah, it got a lot of fun being able to do that. But it is about, I suppose, bringing some of that fun back into, into security as opposed to just being overwhelmed with contacting users or yeah, filling out tickets. So yeah, I think I really think that automation and yeah, like better tools, tools with great APIs makes that a lot more, uh, makes that a lot more fun and a lot more interesting. That's right. That's right. So if you're looking at, I suppose, like security, obviously you're dealing with, you're dealing with a lot of very sophisticated companies, but if you're looking at security in a couple of years from now, like four or five years from now, where do you think it's going to be? Do you think it's going to be more like your, where, where IT and where like, yeah, DevOps is now or what's your vision? Yeah, I think that's exactly it. You know, I think it's kind of inevitable, meaning the complexity of kind of IT, you know, deployment is growing. The complexity of everything that we secure is kind of growing. The complexity of the attacks is also growing. And so I, I don't think we can look at this and say, well, then the trajectory is really, you know, a world where, you know, oh, there's a, there's a box we put in the data center and it keeps us safe, right? Like it, mathematically, like it just doesn't work that way. So yeah, I, yeah, I think we're going to go a lot more towards kind of DevOps concepts, a lot more fundamental security through the architecture as well, right? So I think a lot of the, the types of attacks that we see today, we're going to be able to not so much eliminate them, but just, you know, render them like not useful or not potent by having, you know, like the 2FA throughout everything, right? Like these kind of architectural changes that really eliminate all of those. So I can see the balance of things going to a lot less security operations, like the kind of day-to-day operations, but where it's a lot more focused on, you know, looking at actual known problems rather than sort of, you know, be clicking to like resolve alerts over and over again. Yeah, I definitely agree. I don't think there's any chance of, well, it just can't. It's not sustainable, right? You can't, there's not enough people out there to do all the jobs. And with the ever, I suppose, increasing level of attacks, it's really hard to, uh, to stay on top. I guess I'm wondering, so companies that are deploying tools like Maturity or tools like Times, what, what are some of the other things they can do to get ahead of that? Like, what are some of the other things that they can do to prepare their teams for that? I think they're already ahead of the curve, right? Okay. <laughs> That's how I see it. Like, you know, realistically speaking, I think the vision that we're both kind of putting forward is one where, you know, more and more people are going to it, but it's kind of done on the leading edge of, of mm-hmm. this curve. I think the other thing that they can do is, I mean, yeah, it goes back to the same point too. Every day, every step of the way, trying to formalize kind of what they're doing and why they're doing it and to see if they can bring that in automation. Just, it's an eternal process and that's how you're going to get out of the pit. Yeah. One of the things that that, that Voice the Sock uh, report kind of talked about as well was, was like, it was talking about automation, it was talking about, yeah, bringing the fun back, but it was also talking about, I suppose, like looking after your, kind of as your team, looking after your analyst mental health as well. That like, you're making sure that your team are not burnt out, making sure that you have enough staff, making sure that you're checking on that your people are your most important asset in this, that if you're not, uh, if you're not looking after them, you're going to be in, yeah, you're going to be in a little bit of trouble when that big incident comes around because they're not, and those are inevitable, but those are not times that you're, if you're not looking after people that they'll be able to, they'll be able to stick it out. 
Absolutely. And I mean, I would make the argument that doesn't just go with security, but with no, (laughs) totally true. I think, I think uh, maybe, maybe I'm wrong here, but I think security is for a lot of people, it's a little bit more of a vocation though, that like a security analyst and engineers, they think they feel that certainly when I was working in a SOC, I felt an obligation. And even if it's just like, you know, it's, it's late at night, but I still want to, you know, I still want to get through this. I still want to build this detection. I still want to root out exactly what this is because if I don't, I, yeah, I feel like you're, it's not that you're letting the team down, but you're just like, you're, this is, this is part of what I'm supposed to be doing. And I feel that that's a little bit, I don't get that impression for, and uh, I hope to any of the accountants that are uh, listening here, I'm not going to be offended, but yeah, I don't get that impression for like, you know, somebody who's working in, in law or accounting quite as much. Yeah, so, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. Totally agree. So yeah, uh, I guess that's, uh, yeah, just something that when you're working in security, you, you do put in a lot of people put in a huge amount of uh, a huge amount of time. They put in their their heart and soul into it, which is yeah, which is great. It's exactly uh, why I love working with like incredibly smart security teams and love working in the uh, the industry. Maxine, this is fantastic. This is unfortunately all, all that we're going to have time to cover today. But before we wrap up, if people want to, I suppose, follow your journey or follow Lima Charlie's journey, where should they go? Sure. So limacharlie.io, our website at limacharlie.io. So limacharlie.io is sort of the slug we use in, in most places. So on Twitter, we also have like a YouTube channel, all that cool stuff. And then myself on Twitter at underscore MaximLB. Brilliant. And just to get a, a quick shout out, you do obviously have a free community edition. So if people want to, if people want to get started, they can get started for free and try it out. And you don't That's even have right. to talk to a salesperson, I believe. No, that's right. And it's not even a free community edition. We call it a free tier, right? Because it's really, you know, here's, it's a tier of infrastructure access. So there's very few limits. And yeah, don't talk to a salesperson. All the doc is online. Just, you know, go and do it. So it's it's really cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for talking to me today. And yeah, looking forward to catching up again in the future. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Future of Security Operations podcast by Tynes. If you enjoyed today's show, please do us a favor and leave us a review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast platform. For additional episodes, visit tynes.com slash podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about how Tynes Automation Platform can transform your security operations team, visit tynes.com. Thanks again, and I'll catch you on the next episode.